If you read the work of a modern novelist, you will realize that he will describe in great detail every detail of the scene. Was there grass? Well, what kind of grass? Are there trees in the background? What kind of trees? What color are the leaves? What, what season of the year is it? Is there fruit on them? He will also describe in great detail uh, what the characters are thinking as they do this or say that. If you read the work of a modern historian, you will find that she is ex extremely interested in the exact progress of the narrative. Uh, he, she's ex very interested in knowing exactly what happened before this and before that and then what came then. She will also usually go back into the, the, uh, the, the previous history of the uh, character, telling you something about their childhood or earlier adulthood that influences what they are saying or doing at this particular moment. The Bible is very unlike that. You get very little of the interior mindset of the characters in the, in the scripture. The gospel writers are more interested in telling you what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Today's lesson, however, offers an exception to that rule. Today's lesson has a simple phrase which really gives a window into the interior life, into the spirit of Jesus. And that is where we're going to spend most of our time as we discuss it today. But this text, which is prescribed for us by the lectionary and by those who put the lectionary together, has some oddities to it and some uh, which need a little uh, unpacking before we get there. The text begins by saying that the disciples are telling Jesus everything that had happened, and you're saying, well, what, what, why are they telling him that? Usually Jesus is the, is the primary actor. But what happens before this is the sending out of the twelve. Jesus sends them out to teach and to heal. That is, I think, a part of the gospel story that deserves a lot more attention than we, than we generally give it in the church. But in any event, they have gone. They have taught. They have had success. They have, they have said things and been listened to. They have done things. Miracles seem to have occurred. Now, no doubt that was not without some opposition. No doubt there was pushback on what they did. And what they did would have been tiring in body, also in spirit. And so they come back together with the Jesus who sent them out, and it's time to process. You've been there, haven't you? It's, it's been a busy day. It's been three weeks. It seems like you, you haven't stopped. And you need to catch your breath. You need to rest. And if you're engaged in a joint project with others, you, you need to sit down with them and, and process and understand what has been happening to you. That is, I think, a way that we can put ourselves, in a human sense, into the disciples' story at this point. They came back together and they were tired. 
They needed time to rest and recharge their batteries. And Jesus, Jesus himself, some of the commentators say, may have been tired himself. And certainly they needed time with each other, some peace and quiet. And so Jesus says, okay guys, there's a lot going on around where we are. People are coming and going. We can't really keep up with, uh, we don't have uh, time to even to, to rest or to, or to get something to eat. And for some of that, that is an imminent crisis when there's not time to get something to eat. And, and so Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go. I, I know a place. It's a nice, quiet place. Nobody ever goes there. And so they get in the boat and they sail some section of the Ark of the Sea of, of Galilee. Well, the commentators, who obviously know a lot more about the geography of the Sea of Galilee than I know, and actually more than I care to know, go into great detail about where, how far they might have traveled and where the people might have run, and then other people came from hither and yon. All we need to know is that when they got to their quiet place, it wasn't quiet. When they got to the place that they could rest and recharge, the demands of the world had preceded them and were already pressing on them. The crowds have found them. And at this moment is, is the verse that gives us this window into the mind of Jesus, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Then we have an extended omission from the text of Mark, 18 verses which we do not read. Now, some of you, of course, who are into conspiracy theories, believe that there's something secretive in this that the lectionary composers didn't want us to know about. Perhaps you feel cheated that we did not get to read those 18 verses today. Fear not. They contain the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle which is recorded in all four Gospels. And if you come back next week, you're going to hear about the feeding of the 5,000, not from Mark, but from John's version. And then the closing verses, uh, what, 53 through 56, are sort of a summary of what's been going on, what goes on, and it reemphasizes the appeal of Jesus and how the people in the countryside responded to him with a suggestion that perhaps they wanted to come experience a miracle. The window into the spirit of Jesus is found in these words. And he had compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He responded to the press of the multitude upon him with compassion, with the feeling in his heart of concern for those interrupting his retreat. How else might he have reacted? Well, I'm afraid I can tell you from personal experience how people sometimes respond when their priorities are impinged upon, when other people want a piece of their time and action that, that they don't want to give, when, when you've done a whole lot and you're looking forward to that break and instead there are 16 people who want you to do this, that, or the other, 
I can tell you how otherwise he might have reacted. I find it almost obvious that he would have reacted with some degree of frustration. I had this all planned out and these people are interrupting my plans. Perhaps anger. I can't believe that this would happen when we've been working so hard. Perhaps disrespect. Hasn't that, haven't words like that crossed your lips sometimes when, when somebody pressed upon you and you thought to yourself, if, and, and perhaps you said it out loud sometime, oh, those people don't understand. Perhaps even despair. Might Jesus have thought, I have only a limited time to pursue my mission. I've got to have time to rest, recharge. I've got to train these people so that they can go out, not just for a brief period of teaching and, and, and healing, but for the rest of history. But Jesus responded in a way that I usually do not find it in my spirit to be able to do. He had compassion. For he saw their need. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Last month when I preached from this pulpit, I, I preached about interruptions. You remember the story? I hope, I hope you heard that sermon. It was the best sermon I preached all month long. And, <laughs> and, and it was about Jairus sending his servants to go get Jesus to heal his daughter. And, and that's an interruption from what Jesus was doing. And, and then he, he, he goes and there the woman with the hemorrhage interrupts him again. And he can't seem to, to make any progress. And I, I preached on the theme, life is what happens when you've made other plans. And we talked about the fact that interruptions happen and how we handle them largely determines what our lives turn out to be. Interruptions, disturbances, demands on our time happen all the time, unexpected. A, a church I once served experienced a very difficult time because of an incident of child sexual abuse that happened where one of our volunteers was guilty of an improper relationship with one of our younger girls. That wasn't occasion for one 15-minute meeting. It took us a long time to deal with that. And the annual conference helped us. They sent us some they sent us some experts. I, I, has, I hesitate to use that word. Expert uh, doesn't have a very good reputation these days. It, it seems that we're suspicious of anybody who's given their time and attention to learning more about a subject than we have. In the 21st century, it seems that everybody wants to have their own set of facts. But these folks knew more than we did. <laughs> that wasn't hard. And they helped us a great deal, not the least by giving us a mantra. Don't blame the victim. Don't blame the victim. 
And we found ourselves repeating those words to each other again and again and again over the months that, that followed the discovery of this relationship. Because sooner or later, you, you just knew it was going to happen that you or somebody else around the table with you was, was going to start saying, oh, if only, talking about the victims, if only they had done this, or if only they hadn't done that, or if only they had done, said something different. And we'd go back to our mantra, don't blame the victim. Jesus didn't blame the victim. There, there are lots of people today in all sorts of situations in our society where victims get blamed. You don't, you don't go a whole long time without reading in the newspaper a story about a rape victim. And maybe somebody has some sense, well, what did she do to encourage that? Don't blame the victim. It's not the victim's fault. It's the perpetrator's fault. But those are not the only victims who get blamed. The hungry get blamed for being hungry. The poor get blamed for being poor. The sick too often are blamed. Why, why did they get themselves in that situation where they're sick? What about those homeless people? They should have known better. Jesus could have blamed the multitudes for their need and turned his back on them sent them away. He said, go find yourselves another shepherd. Instead, he had compassion. Now, don't think it's easy for me to stand in this pulpit and tell you that we ought to have compassion, as if I'm, I'm just a fountain of compassion every time that... that you know, something bad happens, and, and I can stand up here and, and, and ex express to you on your inferior, uh, you know, spiritual level how you should have compassion. I lack that so often, and it pains me to realize how often I lack it. But I realize that we're not here just to praise Jesus and say, isn't it great that Jesus had compassion? We're also meant to imitate him. He had compassion. So easy not to. I ran, I ran across this. And back, back in, in the day, as, as they say, one of the main ways that preachers had of communicating with each other was our churches sent out bulletins to to other preachers and we'd all read what you know I'd read what Tommy and Creed were, had written on their bulletins and um, lots of times it was good and I'd slip it into a drawer because I might use it sometime well I'm using one of those right now it's not Tommy or Creed's but but <clears throat> but but I found this and it says let me read it to you it seems that a man fell into a pit and could not get himself out an emotional person came along and said, I feel for you down there. A rational person walked by and said, it is logical that someone would fall into a pit like that. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. 
A self-pitying person said, you think you got a pit, you ought to see the pit I live in. <laughs> a fire and brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. I didn't put enough into that, did I? You deserve your pit. A feel-good preacher said, if you just believe in yourself, you'll get out of that pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. <laughs> and Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and pulled him out of the pit. I'm afraid that many people in American society today distrust the church because there are too many Christians who blame people who suffer instead of having and showing compassion for them. Henry Ward Beecher in the 19th century said, compassion will cure more sins than condemnation. Too many people want to tell other people what they're supposed to feel or what they're supposed to think instead of listening to them. Let's talk about empathy for a minute. One definition of empathy is to experience other people's feelings instead of just reacting with your feelings. You say, did you ever learn anything in seminary that you remember? Yeah, actually, I, I did remember. I do remember some of those things. And one of them came from a, a meeting room down in the depths of Grady Hospital with a clinical pastoral supervisor who listened to me recount the conversation I had had with somebody in, in the hospital and said, it seems to me that you were trying, you, you talked a lot about how you respond to situations like this. He said, I don't think people are very interested in what you think and what you feel. I think they want you to learn to listen to them. A lesson I'm still learning. Plato said, the highest form of knowledge is empathy. For it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another person's world. So what did Jesus do? Okay, Marcus, he had compassion. What does that mean? What did he do? Well, first of all, he did feed the people. There's more about that in next week's sermon. He also healed people. And you and I are not given the gift of being able to heal illness or in, in uh, disability simply with the touch of our hand or even with the, the robe of our garment. We are not given that ability. But when we go out to create healthful conditions in society, we are doing gospel work. And he taught. I have to tell you, that, that caught me by surprise. I, I didn't remember that was there. I was reading along and it said Jesus had compassion. And I was expecting him to say whether well, he fed the people or he healed the people. No, the first thing Mark tells us is he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them many things. Words are not ever mere words. And the evangelist wants us to understand that... that we, we, people need to know God's love for them. The Olympics start this week. I think it's Friday. And 
this is, if you if it's been four years since you've seen somebody do the shot put or or do synchronized swimming or anything like that this this is your chance and we all love watching the Olympics because of everything that, that goes on in the sports that we don't often see. But I thought it'd be an appropriate time to remind you of a story that came from the 1988 Olympics when the, they were held in the Pacific, not, not in Japan, but in Korea. Off the coast of Korea, they were having some of the sailing races one day. Uh, and one of the competitors from Canada was named Lawrence Lemieux. He was sailing in, in this race. He was nearing the, the halfway point in the race. He was in second place, and he allowed himself to begin to think that he might even win a medal. The trouble was that the winds, and apparently safe winds, are 15 knots and below. The winds had picked up to 35 knots, and the sailing was treacherous. And he realized that as he turned his head, he, he saw another boat capsize. The Singapore boat had, had gone upside down in the water, and, and the two sailors on it had been thrown out into the, into the, the rough waters. Lawrence Lemieux stopped his effort to win a medal, took his boat over, pulled one of the sailors to safety, and then even though he realized that, that water was coming into his boat, went to the other and pulled him to safety, and waited there with them until a patrol boat from the Olympic organization could come and take these two half-drowned sailors to safety. As a result, Lawrence Lemieux, who had been in second place, finished the race in 21st place, far out of contention for a medal. The person who described this event as I, as I read it said that in doing that, Lawrence Lemieux showed the world what Olympic greatness is. I agree with that. But in this place, and together as God's people, I think it's appropriate that we say more than that is Olympic greatness. I hope that we can see that he gave us one small example of gospel greatness. Of one who came to serve others. Of one who could bring hope and healing. And for you and me to follow in the steps of, the, of that one special one who showed us all what it means to have compassion.